0: Well, I'm just really blessed to be able to share with you all this afternoon. Uh, what a privilege. And what a blessing. So just good to see all of you. And I pray you guys are doing well and you had a great week. And if you're joining us online, just glad you could join us. So we're going to be in God's Word today. So if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back in many different languages. So please make sure and grab one of those. We're going to need our Bibles today. So if you are joining us for the first time, we have been going through the Gospels For about eight months now, chronologically. And last week, Pastor Aaron was teaching, and we were in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 6, verses 12 through 26. And the title of the message was, Chosen and Blessed. And we talked about how Jesus, once again, chose his disciples. But before he did this, he spent a significant amount of time in prayer. Before any decision Jesus made, he always took it to the Father in prayer. And we had that application last week. And Pastor Aaron also taught on starting the Sermon on the Mount. And he went over what we commonly call the Beatitudes from Luke's Gospel. So today we're going to continue Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to consider it from Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to go up through verse 20. So only seven verses, but we have a lot of ground to cover in these verses. So... Let's go ahead and read through verses 13 through 20 and we'll go back through and we'll break them down together. So if you're following along, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So today Jesus starts off and he starts to tell his disciples how they are called to live out their discipleship. How we are called to live as Christians. And ultimately, Jesus' point of his message for us to glean from this is ministry in serving Jesus is not about us. It's not about us. Our salvation, our, the forgiveness that we have from our sins, it's not about us. We didn't earn it through anything that we did. We couldn't earn it through anything that we did. And this is exactly what Jesus is telling his followers. So starting back in verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus likens his church and his followers to salt. Now, salt serves two purposes. For one, salt is a preservative, right? Salt is used to keep something fresh, to keep something from decaying. Many times people will season meat with salt to keep it from rotting or decaying. The second purpose of salt is to enhance flavor. I don't know if you ever had food without salt, right? When it needs salt. If you ever had French fries without salt, I don't like it, right? I don't know if you ever went to McDonald's and ordered the fries and they come without salt, I can't even eat them, right? The salt really enhances and helps the flavor. This is what salt does, and in the same sense, spiritually, this is what Jesus is likening us to, and also commissioning us to do as his followers to be salt. So first of all, Jesus wants us to preserve. What does he want us to preserve? Jesus wants us to preserve godliness and morality in a world that is decaying spiritually. I know you don't need me to remind you that outside of these doors, this world is evil. I'm sure I don't need to remind you that there's many evil things that go on in this city. There's many sinful things that go on in this city. I don't need to remind you of this. I don't need to remind you that godlessness is taking over schools. I don't need to remind you that Satan is trying to destroy lives and destroy families. I don't need to remind you that the name of Jesus Christ is being removed from every single government and trying to be silenced in this world. This world is decaying spiritually. And Jesus is telling us as his church that we are to preserve godliness and morality in this world. And when I was thinking about this, I had this thought, can the world see a difference between us and themselves? If you had meat, one that was preserved with salt and one that was not, you could see a clear difference. One would decay and the other wouldn't. Well, what about the world when they come through the doors of the church? What about the world when they look at us as Christians? Is there a clear difference between the way that we live our lives or not? when people come into church, they feel the love and hope of Jesus, or are they seeing a bunch of people that slander, backbite, gossip, and tear down one another? You know, my ascending church in America, when I first went to it, I I couldn't believe it, because I'd never been to a church that people were so nice, and it actually almost made me uncomfortable, where everyone was smiling, and they were all happy, and they all came up to me, and they started hugging me, people I never met, People I never met inviting me to their homes and asking if they can make meals for me. I was a little uncomfortable. I'd never experienced that before. But the more that I went, the more I was around these people, I realized this is so attractive to see a church that loves and acts like Jesus. And anyone who goes to my sending church, you ask them, why are you here? They're like, because the Word of God is taught, and I just feel loved and accepted here. And this is how we're called to be as a church, preserving the truth of God's Word in this world around us. Not compromising on what the Bible says. Not compromising on what is sinful and what is not sinful. Not compromising on who Jesus Christ is. Not compromising on our bold witness of Jesus. When the world says shut up about Jesus, to preserve godliness is to not shut up about Jesus, but to share Jesus, regardless of the consequence. Well, what else does salt do? Salt enhances the flavor. And this is what we're called to do as Christians. And that might sound a little weird. What do you mean enhance the flavor of this world? What does that mean? Well, again, any time that Jesus gives a commandment, he never gives a commandment that he first did not model himself. Jesus is our example in this. And I want you to notice, as we've been reading through the scriptures and as we'll continue to read through the gospels, that Jesus showed us how to conduct our lives and how to live in the world around him. Jesus went against the cultural norms and the sinful customs of man to share the gospel. For example, if you look at lepers in the days of the Bible and in the time of Israel, lepers were looked down upon. They were socially outcast. And for right reason, right? Because they had an incurable disease at the time. A disease so severe that it would eat away at your body. So much so that historically, the the Pharisees and religious leaders, they would take up rocks and throw them at lepers if they even saw them come close. And what did Jesus do? Well, he healed the leper, but that's not all he did. He touched the leper. He went against the cultural norm. Jesus, he ate with tax collectors. And tax collectors were hated so much by people that they had their own category of sin, right? When people said... We're talking about tax collectors, they would say, You're like the sinners and the tax collectors. They were considered to be so vile and so hated that they couldn't even be put in the category of other sinners. And the Pharisees are like, Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And what did Jesus do? He ate with them, he ministered to them, he poured out his love for them. Blind Bartimaeus, right? The blind beggar. He was crying out for help, and everyone said, Be quiet. Stop calling out for Jesus. And he kept calling out, but guess what? Jesus came over, and he gave time for him. Woman at the well, it was culturally, you you don't talk to women culturally, right? Especially a Samaritan woman, because Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles, and the Israelites hated them. Jesus took time for her, and he ministered to her. Jesus changed the flavor of the world. He taught a different message, something that was completely in contrast to what the world taught. See, when Jesus came, people were excited that he could be the Messiah because they wanted him to come overthrow the Roman Empire. Yes, overthrow our oppressors, great, but Jesus didn't come to do that. As a matter of fact, as we'll read later in this chapter, he said, no, love your enemies. Oh, they want you to carry their gear for one mile, do it for two miles for them. Jesus taught a different message. And this is what he's calling us to do as his church. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. God did not call me and he did not call you here to adapt to culture. Nor did he call us here to share our culture. He called us here to share the culture that's the kingdom of God. To share a different message. That Jesus Christ loves and Jesus Christ saves. But with this great responsibility, Jesus gives us a warning. In verse 13. He said, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing. In other words, it's... Like to the dirt that you walk on, right? Now, if you're a science, if you're into science, you know that salt really can't lose its flavor. So what is Jesus talking about here? And I, I read into this and people said maybe he's referring to salt blocks that they cooked with or salt caves. And I think you're looking too much into it. Jesus said, listen, if salt doesn't have flavor, it's not good for anything. You don't use it for anything. If it can't preserve and it can't enhance flavor, you don't use salt for anything, And with this, I had to ask the question how am I representing Jesus? How am I representing Jesus to those around me? Am I going out preserving truth and godliness? Am I going out sharing Jesus and sharing the love and hope that I have in Him? Am I going out to share that Jesus Christ came to save? Or am I compromising my values and my beliefs in Jesus to fit in with the things and the ways of this world? I don't want to offend anyone, I don't want to push anyone away. They don't know Jesus, we can't push them away any further. Right? They're going to spend an eternity in hell. You can't push them away any further than they already are. Are we sharing the truth of who Jesus is, or are we contributing to spiritual decay in this world? Kind of an interesting question. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Is this represented in our hearts and in our lives today? Do we hate evil? And love what is good. Our witness doesn't mean much if we're not living out our lives for Jesus. And I'll share this story, and this is a somber story. It's a sad story, honestly. But I'll share this story because it just happened a couple weeks ago. As Aaron said before the message, they're praying about finding a new home. They were looking, and a Thailand owner was talking to them, and he asked if they were Christians. And they said yes. And when he heard this, he was kind of taken back a little bit. And he said, Well, I don't like Christians. Like, why not? And he said, Well, I don't like Christians because the Christians that rent from me and the Christians that I know, he described as rude, he described as disrespectful, unruly, and out of control. And this is why he didn't like Christians. And I don't share this out of judgment to pinpoint certain Christians and be like, Oh, look at them. No, we're all the church. This is a lesson for all of us in here. We need to be careful how we represent Jesus. We need to preserve the truths of Scripture and holiness within the church and within this world. Because God called us to be faithful representatives of who He is. Let's look at verses 14 through 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus now likens us, His church, His followers, to light. Now, when I read this, I found this incredible. The reason I found this amazing is because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12... He said, I am the light of the world. And now he's calling us, the church, the light of the world. It's amazing. And Jesus, once again, he exemplified what this means and what this looks like. Because Jesus was a shining light in a dark world around him. And for us, if Jesus calls us the light of the world after he called himself the light of the world, we need to radiate the light of Jesus. You can take a great example physically in creation about this. You look at the sun and the moon. If you're familiar with the moon, you know the moon cannot produce any light of its own. We have a light in the evening because the moon reflects the light of the sun. And as Christians, this is exactly what we're called to be doing. But if the moon wasn't in the presence of the sun, the moon couldn't give light. If we're not in the presence of Jesus, how can we radiate Jesus? If we're not spending time with the light of the world, how can we be light of the world? The purpose of a light is to make something visible, and it's not only that, it's not only to expose darkness, but it's to expose anything that goes on in the darkness. You know, thankfully, I don't experience this here, but when we lived in Myanmar, where we lived, we had a huge problem with cockroaches. And if you're familiar with cockroaches in Asia, you know they're not these little bugs. They're these huge bugs. They're the size of lizards. I've never seen anything like it. And whenever I would go use the bathroom in the middle of the night to be pitch black, i turn the light on. And as soon as you turn the light on, what happens? You just see a whole congregation of cockroaches, right? And as soon as you turn the light on, what happens? They all scatter. They don't want to be in the light. And that's what light does. It exposes darkness and anything that goes on in the darkness. What else does light do? Light also guides. If I'm walking through a messy room in the dark, I can trip over things. I can't see where I'm walking. The worst of all, I could stub my toe, which is... One of the most painful things that could happen. But if the light's on, then I can see what's in my way. And I know where to walk and where not to walk. This is what light does. And as the light of the world, being these exam- following this example of Jesus, we are called to shine as lights in a dark world. To expose what goes on in the darkness. To shine a light on what goes on in the darkness. And watch this, to guide others to the true light, who is Jesus Christ. With that said, I really had to ask myself this week, man, am I drawing people to Jesus? Am I I living a life that someone can look at and be led to Jesus by? Is my light shining so brightly that I can't contain and I can't hide it? I had to ask myself this, and honestly, I can honestly say this week, there were a lot of times that I didn't do that. My light was very, very dim. Doing what God told me to do, but no joy in my heart. Doing what God called me to do, but not the passion that I that I had at other times. And I was singing about a new believer. There's nothing more beautiful than when you see someone first accept Jesus, right? Cuz when they first accept Jesus, they're so excited. Right? All they do is smile and they just are so excited and they want to share with everyone what happened to them. They want to share with their friends, their family, guess what Jesus did for me? It's not it's not about look what I did, it's look what Jesus did for me. And they're so excited they want to go to every Bible study and soak in the word of God and they get excited when the Bible is taught. And when I was singing about this, I thought, man, why do we, why do we uh, have this example with new believers? What about old believers? Why don't I have that same joy and that same passion? Why don't I want to shine brightly like these new believers do? Well, how, why do we allow that to wear off? Jesus said, be lights. Lights are visible. Lights are strong. Lights are powerful. And so should our witness be for Jesus. So maybe you've been doing what God called you to do, but you've lost your joy in doing it. What else did Jesus say? He said, you are a city that is set on a hill. And a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. I love this thought because a city that's set on a hill, everyone can see it from no matter what part of the city you're in. It's attractive and you can have a perfect example with the buildings on Doisotep, right? You can see them throughout the daytime. And at nighttime, the lights go on. It doesn't matter what part of the city you're in. If you see that mountain line, you can see the buildings up there. They're not hidden. You can be right up close to it. You can be far away. You can still see those buildings. And as Christians, and as the church, this is what Jesus wants us to be. Visible, not hidden. He wants his church to be out there, and he wants everyone to know that his church is here. In this world, does the world know that God's church is here? What about Chiang Mai? Does Chiang Mai know that God's church is here. And I'm not talking about this building in this group of believers. I'm talking about his church as a whole. Does Chiang Mai know that God's church is here? How would they know? Are we going out? Are we sharing Jesus? Because God didn't call us here to vacation or sit. He called us here to go out and share the hope of Jesus. So with that said, can people see Jesus in you? I had to ask myself this many, many times this week. I would get frustrated, easily irritable, really low patience, and I had to ask myself, can people see Jesus in me right now? What about your neighbors? Can they see Jesus in you? What about students, your classmates, and your teachers? Can they see Jesus in you? For us in the church, can we see the light shining in each other's hearts? Are we encouraging one another? God didn't call us here to be undercover Christians. He called us here to be ambassadors. Someone who proudly represents Him. So that we could say, like Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Verse the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes. Last thing, and then we'll move on. Verse 16. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's read that again. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not see your good works and glorify you. See your good works and glorify your father in heaven because ministry is not about me and it's not about you it's not about us if we're called to be god's people it means that we humble ourselves pick up our cross deny ourselves and follow jesus and live our lives poured out for him and for people so many times you know especially if you've been in ministry for a while maybe you get this idea like you start to grow a little hard-hearted look what i did today look at how many people i shared the gospel with all the hungry people that i've fed Look at what I did for Jesus. And that's the wrong heart and the wrong attitude to have because we do well to remember because if we don't remember this, God's going to make us remember it, right? There's a very common principle in the Bible. Humble yourself. or You're going to get humbled. We do well to remember that God doesn't need us. And if God wants to reach Chiang Mai, he doesn't need me to do it. He doesn't need you to do it. Now he wants us. Praise God. He can do whatever he wants. None of us in here are God's gift to ministry. Well, We'll move on. Verses 17 through 18. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, I think when we read these verses, it's important to ask just a few questions. Number one, when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. What is he referring to when he says the law or the prophets? Number two, what do we need to look at? If Jesus came to fulfill the law, what was the purpose of the law in the first place? Now we got to ask ourselves, well, if Jesus said he fulfilled the law, how did he fulfill the law? And then this was a question that I just came up with when I was reading through this. Why did Jesus say this? You know, I read through Matthew 5, the Sermon on Matthew, I read through many, 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 many times. And every single time that I read it, most of the time, that is, I would get to verse 17. I'd read verses 1 through 16. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Wow, praise the Lord. I get to verse 17. I'm like, where did this come from? And I always thought, "Is, is Jesus going on a tangent? Is Jesus changing the topic now that he's talking about the law? And upon studying the scriptures, no, Jesus is not going on a tangent. This is arguably what Jesus is basing his entire message on. Because it was commonly taught that people would attain their own righteousness through the keeping of the law. The religious leaders taught, do what's written in the law, and that is righteousness before God. And Jesus was trying to make the point that that's not true. These religious leaders have misinterpreted God's Word. And through this misinterpretation of God's Word came a system of legalism that led to bondage amongst the people. And just like when Jesus called us to be lights and salt in a city on a hill, He was telling us that ministry is not about us, it's about Jesus. And now He's telling us our salvation and our righteousness is also not about us, it's about Jesus. So when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, who is he referring to? He's referring to what was written in the Old Testament. You know, I've seen people say that this was only, you know, referencing the Torah or the five books of Moses and the prophets. But that's not true. It was referencing the whole Old Testament. And the reason I think that's important is because God didn't come to fulfill part of his word. He came to fulfill all of his word. And Jesus would even quote the Psalms in John 15:25, and he would call the psalms part of the law. And the law is in reference to the commands that God gave and recorded in the Old Testament, and Jesus said, "I'm not here to destroy this. I'm here to fulfill this." Now, Jesus was accused many times of breaking the law, wasn't he? We've been studying it for weeks now, right? When Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, he was accused of breaking the law. When Jesus healed the paralyzed man by the pool of Bethesda, he was accused of breaking the law. When the disciples were eating grains and picking it on the Sabbath, they were accused of breaking the law. And Jesus said, no, I didn't come to break or destroy it. And then you you might think, well, why did Jesus do these things then? Because you need to understand the Pharisees created their own legalistic system that they followed the Pharisees took and added onto the commands of God their own commandments that they themselves have created, and it was hindering true worship and true service for God. And, you know, people say they came up with hundreds. Some people even believe it was thousands of extra commands that the Pharisees gave and added on to the people, and it was really burdening the people, and Jesus said no. He would later call them out in Matthew 15. He said, you're treating the doctrines of men as the commandments of God, and it's wrong. Coming to me with your mouth, but not your heart. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Which leads us to the next question. What's the purpose of the law if Jesus came to fulfill it? The law was given to us to show that we need a Savior. That's why God gave the law. He didn't give the law so people could follow it and be saved by it because He knew no one could. He gave the law so that we could realize that we need a Savior. The law was a mirror for us, right? Just like if you have dirt all over your face, you look in a mirror, you realize, I have dirt all over my face, I need to clean myself. This is what the law did, right? The law made us realize, I am a sinner and I need a Savior because there's nothing I can do to outweigh the bad things that I have done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul wrote, and he said, Therefore the law was our tutor, or if you have the King James Version, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified through faith. The law couldn't say because no one could keep it fully. And we're going to get more to that in the following verses. But I think it's important to remember that this is what separates us as followers of Jesus from every religion in this world, especially in this country. Because people think that they can find forgiveness and salvation through the works that they do. Because it's a God-given revelation. We know that we need a Savior. We know that we're bad and we need to do something about it. And so you find in every religion, people try to work for their salvation. They try to work for forgiveness, try to do good things and good deeds in order to find this forgiveness. And this is what separates us as we follow Jesus, because it's not about us. We're not saved by what we did. We're saved by what Jesus did, and this is what Jesus was going to explain. Now, when Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, how did he do this? How did he fulfill the law? If no one else on the earth could fulfill it, how could he And the answer is simple. Jesus was sinless, perfect. And not only was Jesus perfect and sinless, but he upheld the law and obeyed it. He never broke it once. And Jesus fulfilled the law because he showed us all what the true purpose of the law was. To point us to him. That's why God gave the law. Because from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the scriptures tell us about Jesus Christ. And they point us to Jesus Christ. And before time began, God knew that we were going to need a Savior. And Peter wrote about that in 1 Peter. He said Christ was foreordained before the start of time to be our Savior. Jesus fulfilled the law because He showed us the purpose of the law to point us to Him. This is amazing because Jesus fulfilling the law means that our salvation is only through Jesus Christ and it's nothing that we can add to it. It's not Jesus plus something, it's Jesus And I think this is so important because we live in a world that people constantly want to add on to the work of Jesus. Well, you need to believe in Jesus and be baptized. You need to believe in Jesus and attend this teaching. You need to believe in Jesus and read this book. No, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's it. It's Jesus. (laughs) And the message that we go out in this world to share needs to be Jesus. Not a self-help book. Not look what I can do for you. No, look what Jesus can do for you. We have nothing to bring to the table. Nothing to offer outside of Jesus. Verse 18, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. I really love this verse. And if you have a more modern translation, you don't have the words jot and tittle in your translation. That's in the older translations, the more reliable translations. Just kidding. Right? But I really like this because a jot and a tittle is in reference to Hebrew markings in the Hebrew writings. And they were very, very small writings that could almost be equivalent to like a comma or a period in our English language. They were very, very small. And Jesus is saying that He pays attention to every single little detail in His Word. And He's going to bring to pass every single little detail in His Word. And this is why it's so important that we're in God's word, all of God's word, because he values all of it. He values his word. I think of Psalm chapter 138, verse 2. And David said, you magnify your word above all your name. God values his word. And maybe this is a little out of context, this application, but I think it's an important lesson for us. If Jesus values his word, so should we. There's a lot of missionaries in the world who don't even read their Bibles. There's a lot of Christians in the world who don't even read their Bibles. <laughs> and I and I'll say that out of judgment. I say it because it's true and we need to be in our Bibles. We need to be in the Word of God. And something that I love about this church and something that I love about my sending church is every time I go to a Bible study or I go to a ch- church service, I know I'm going to need my Bible. I know we're going to be in the Word of God today. Because Jesus truly values His Word and so should we As a church, priority must go to the Word of God and the teaching of God's Word. And this applies to our ministry as well. Listen, humanitarian work is great. Praise the Lord. We should be doing it. It's very important. Jesus instructed us to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit the sick. But priority needs to go to the Word of God. You give someone food, maybe you sustain them for another night, they're not hungry. You give them life-changing medicine, maybe you've extended their life eight to ten years, praise God, but where are they spending eternity priority has to go to the Word of God and to the teaching of God's Word. And I also find something very comforting in this verse as well, that as Jesus said, He pays attention to even the very smallest and finest of details in His Word. We can take comfort that God knows every word that He spoke, every promise that He's given us, and He is going to fulfill His Word. And maybe someone in here needs to hear that. I know I needed to hear that many times this week. God's going to keep His Word. God is faithful. God's going to keep His promise. God is going to obey His Word. He's going to bring to pass what He said He was going to bring to pass. He pays attention to every single little detail. He knows. And sometimes we get in this state of of, of desperation, right? And we cry out to God, Lord, don't you hear me? I prayed for this a hundred times, Lord. Lord, why am I sick again? Lord, why am I doing this? Why haven't you done this for me yet? And the devil wants nothing more than for us to lose sight that God... Is faithful. He wants us to think that God doesn't keep His word, right? Just this past Thursday, we were at the Bi- a Bible study and we were in Genesis three, and the first thing Satan said was, "Did God really say that, Eve?" Devil wants us to question what God says, but we can take comfort that Jesus said every single small detail is going to be fulfilled in me. We can trust Him. Verse nineteen. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is explaining to the people and he's explaining to us that we can never, ever, ever meet the standard of God's perfection on our own. Jesus said if you break one of the least of these commandments, you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. There's a standard that God set and that standard is perfection. And even James said that in James chapter 2, verse 10. If you turn over to James. James said in James chapter 2, verse 10, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. He's guilty of all. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can, if you break one of the least of these commandments, you've broken them all. If you follow 99% of the law, yet you break 1%, you've broken them all. If you follow 99.09% of the commandments but you don't follow that 0.01% and you've broken them all. God set a standard and that standard is perfection. Well, that's bad news for us, isn't it? Because we're not perfect. That's bad news for the people, wasn't it? Because they're not perfect. But there's great news for us. Jesus did fulfill the law. Jesus was perfect. And because Jesus was perfect and he did pay the price and because he did die for us, we now have been given, not our own righteousness, His righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We can never have our own righteousness. We can't save ourselves. We're not saved by our good works. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has done. And this is what He was trying to share with the people. Let's look at verse 20. Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure when Jesus shared this, I'm sure the people were taken aback a little bit by this. Why? Because the people looked at the Pharisees and religious leaders as the most righteous people of all. Because these people were so observant to the law of God, and they did everything that they possibly could to follow and obey it. And they were so hard on other people if they didn't. And that's one thing we can say about the religious leaders, right? Maybe not too many good things we can say about them as we read through the Gospels, but one thing we can say is they had some zeal for the law. They did have some zeal. They were considered to be the most righteous amongst people. And even Paul, when he was recounting his testimony, he said, concerning the law, I was blameless. I followed it. I did my best, right? And Jesus is telling the people that your righteousness needs to be more than their righteousness if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure the people were very confused by this. How could I be more righteous than the religious leaders? And Jesus was sharing with the people that it's not about someone's title. It's not about how much someone knows. It's not about how much someone does. What is it about? It's about the heart. It's about the heart surrendering to Jesus. It's about a heart that says, no, I know I can't do this myself. I know that I need Jesus. I can't do anything without Jesus. The righteousness that God requires, God has given to us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the religious leaders, they didn't understand this, nor did they understand the law. They thought they knew the law. The, thought that they, the law that they thought they knew so well, they actually didn't know. And we're going to study that next week. Because Jesus is going to be like, oh, you think you know the law? You think you kept the command you should not murder because you haven't murdered? Okay, you have anger in your heart against someone? You're a murderer. right? They only saw the outside of the law. They didn't see what God sees. We know that God searches the hearts. But these religious leaders, they thought they were righteous by association, by their title, by their deeds. And Jesus said, it's not about what you do, it's about what I am going to do. We have nothing to bring to the table outside of Jesus Christ. and. I know I don't need to remind you of that. We all know that in here preaching to the choir. We need Jesus. We can't do anything without Jesus. And you know, we pray for revival, and I think it's a beautiful thing to pray, and I pray for it every day. Hallelujah. We want to see revival, but we forget that we need Jesus. Revival starts in our hearts, and revival starts in the church. And the church is paying a heavy price because the church has somehow, some way, strayed from this truth. I need Jesus. God's not interested in our titles. He's not interested in our education. You know, for us as missionaries, right, I think many times we can get a little carried away with that title. I'm a missionary. I know when I was in America and a missionary would come to my home church, I would be like, they're a superhero. Man, they are just all on fire for Jesus. They're like up here and I'm down here. And I want to reach that level of following Jesus that they've reached. Well, guess what? Then I came to the mission field and I was like, man, I'm still the same messy person I was. And I realized that it's not about being a missionary. It's about saying, I need Jesus. It's not about what I know, how much scripture I know. It's about, I need Jesus, and I can't do anything without Jesus. It's not about, look at my righteousness. Look at how many churches I've built and all the people that I've fed. No, it's not about that. It's about, I need Jesus. And this is what Jesus was saying. The only way that you can enter heaven is perfect obedience. And the only way you can have this perfect obedience is through Jesus Christ. It's very important we don't get wrapped up in who we think we are and what we think we can do. And it's very important we don't lose sight of the fact that we need Jesus Christ. We can't give what we don't have. And just like we were talking about in the earlier verses, we're called to reflect the light of Christ. How can we reflect the light of Christ if we're not in the presence of Christ? If we're not in the presence of that light, we need Jesus. And Jesus was saying again to these people in the the broader context, the law cannot save you, right? The law cannot do for you what you think it can do for you. You have a misunderstanding of the purpose of the law. Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 21, "I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain." I'd like to close with a verse from Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse four. In Romans chapter 10, verse four, Paul wrote, "For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes." It's not about what we can do to earn our forgiveness. It's not about our title, our purpose. It's about Jesus Christ. And with this is a great reminder, and I know I needed to hear that this week. Everything that I say, everything that I do needs to be about Jesus Christ. And whenever I get hard-hearted in ministering to God, whenever I start to think that ministry is about me, I need to retreat and I need to repent because it's not about me. Just like my salvation is not anything that I did. Paul said, you're not saved by your works, you're saved by grace. Through faith in Jesus. And anything that we bring to this world is so important that it's Jesus. And priority goes to who Jesus Christ is. And priority goes to the teaching of His Word. Why? Because it's not about what you can do for these people. It's about what Jesus can do for them. These people, they don't need me out here, trust me. They don't need you. They need Jesus. These people out here, they don't need a book. They need Jesus. But it's the cure for sin. It's not me. It's not you. It's Jesus. And when we go out, we need to make sure that we bring Jesus. So I'll wrap up with this. Jesus taught us, the church, how to live. He compared us to salt in this world to preserve godliness and preserve truth in a dying and sinfully decaying world. He called us to be light Light shines in dark places, it exposes what's in darkness, and it guides people. He compared us to being a city on a hill, something that's visible, it's not hidden, but everyone can look at it and see it and feel safe. And Jesus would go on to share that our shining, the light of Jesus Christ, is not about us, and we shouldn't be pointing people to us, we should be pointing them to Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law. Praise the Lord. I don't need to go sacrifice something. I don't need to go do A, B, C, and X, Y, Z to be saved. No, Jesus did the work. And it's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And as God's people, we need to act like God's people. We need to act like Jesus, and we need to bring the world Jesus. So let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Just thank you, Lord, that we are righteous, but not through anything that we've done. We're righteous through what Christ has done. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the privilege and the honor to be your church and to shine the light of Jesus and to be salt and light in this world that is desperate need of you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, though you don't need us, you want us and you invite us in to serve you, Lord, and to be your servants and to be your hands and feet And Lord, we acknowledge, just as we sang the song, Lord, before we got into your word, God, we need you. We need you. You're our defense. You're our righteousness, Lord. We need you. Every hour, we need you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would share the hope and the love that we have in your Son to this world around us. Not pointing people to ourselves, not pointing to people to our titles or what we can do, but pointing people to you, Lord, because you alone have the power to save. Thank you, Lord. We love you, and we just continue to commit this time of worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.